Jesus brought with him a fresh, new message for this world. And it's a message that heralds two seemingly opposing things, judgment and rebirth. His good news, his gospel, announces a totally different social order, a totally different way of living together. And it's called the coming reign of God, the kingdom of God. And to participate in this new social order, we are called, as people of faith, to make a journey, to go from one place to another, from darkness to light, from false isolation to true community, and from self-centeredness to living for other people. The one who saves us from our sin, the one we wait for during Advent and celebrate at Christmas, Jesus, the one who is with us in all things, also calls us to follow him on a journey of faith. And while we love Jesus, we like his teachings, we respect him and admire him, all too often we hesitate to follow him because we know where the journey with him begins. Two weeks ago, Benjamin Watson, an African-American football player who plays for the New Orleans Saints, former Brown, posted a comment on his Facebook page hours after the Ferguson grand jury revealed their decision. Since then, Watson's post has gone viral. It's all over the web. In his post, Mr. Watson explained why he, an African-American, was, it's a list, so be ready, he explains why he was angry, frustrated, fearful, embarrassed, sad, sympathetic, offended, confused, introspective, hopeless, and hopeful. It's a very thoughtful post that I commend to your reading. But what grabbed my attention was what he said at the end of the post, where he explained why, despite everything, despite all the racial prejudice and class warfare, despite it all, he explained why he still remains encouraged. I'm encouraged, he writes, because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem, S-K-I-N, it's a sin problem. Sin, he argues, is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot and loot and burn. But I'm encouraged, he writes. I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son, Jesus, and with it a transformed heart and mind, one that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what is truly important in every human being. The cure for Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Gardner, the, the cure for those tragedies is not education or exposure, he argues. It's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives humankind hope. The problem is... The problem is Republicans. No. Democrats. The problem is Democrats. No, it can't. Radical Muslim extremists. That's the problem. Well, maybe it's right-wing conservative evangelical Christians. No, no. The problem is greed. No. Pride. No. Lust. That's a good one. No. Fear. The problem is fear. That's it. Well, maybe the problem is the breakdown of the traditional family. Or maybe the gap between the rich and the poor. Or maybe it's our insatiable appetite for violence. The problem is 
there are too many answers to this question. If I asked all of you, 200 or more of you, what the problem is, I would likely get 200 or more different answers. But I'm guessing that only a handful of you would say that the problem is sin. In our multicultural, interfaith, postmodern world, using such religious language, such narrow language to describe the source of all our trouble seems outdated. The concept of sin carries too much shame and weight and guilt to be useful for dialogue and conversation. Sin is too loaded to have any real traction with 21st century people. Trying to make the case that the complex problems of our world can all be boiled down to the problem of sin seems to be an oversimplification of a very complex problem. And yet, the problem of human sin is exactly where the good news of Jesus Christ begins. The gospel of Jesus Christ begins with people journeying from the known into the unknown to receive a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of their sin. Despite the fact they were baptized on the very same Sunday morning and raised in the very same church all throughout their childhood and much of their adulthood, Jane and Sally lived very different lives. Jane, oh Jane, she cheated and swindled her way through life, disregarding rules and succumbing to every temptation that life could throw her way. Sally, on the other hand, sweet Sally, she was the model Christian, did all the right things, said all the right things, always chose to do the right, not the wrong. Well, wouldn't you know it, by chance, by fate, by grace, Jane and Sally died the very same day. In heaven, standing next to each other in line, waiting to pass through the pearly gates, each was preparing themselves for a very different sort of welcome. Jane expected, she expected to get a good talking to from God. All those years of disregarding God's laws certainly would have a price. She just knew it. Which is why she was so surprised that as she got closer to the gate, when she got to the gate, St. Peter just smiled and let her in. Nothing. Sally, on the other hand, sweet Sally, after all those years of doing the right thing, expected at least a pat on the back as she made her way through the gates, which is why she was surprised that as she approached the gate, Peter pulled her aside and whispered in her ear, Sally, I hope you know how fortunate you are to be here. Jane and Sally lived very different lives, but it was Sally, the good one, who had succumbed to the greater temptation. It was Sally who refused to acknowledge, to come to terms with, to face the depth of her sin. I know it's not very sophisticated, but when push comes to shove, I have to agree with Benjamin Watson's assessment. We have a sin problem. Sin is at the root of every struggle humanity faces, aside from natural disasters that have nothing to do with our sin Sin is why radical extremists justify the killing of innocents. Sin is why the rich hoard and the poor covet. Sin is why really good people sometimes do really stupid things. Sin is at the root of all the problems that have plagued humanity from the beginning. But that is only half the story. 
Sin is not only the root cause of injustice, injustice like the ethnic cleansing of religious minorities in Iraq or the violence on our streets in our own country. Sin is also what prevents people, what blocks people, people like you and me, from getting involved in solving the problems that are caused by our collective sin. And that, in my estimation, is the far greater tragedy. The true power of sin lies in its ability to both create problems and then prevent people, good people, from doing their best to solve them. The same pride that prevents us from admitting our faults is what causes us to pass by on the other side. The shame, the same shame that traps us and freezes us, is what tricks us into believing that there is nothing we could do. The same self-hatred that makes us believe that God couldn't possibly love us is what makes it easy for us to hate them. Sin at its core is about a separation. A separation from our true selves, from one another, and from God. And a separation from the work we are called and equipped to do. The longer I do this work, the older I get, the more I see history repeat itself, both in my family, in this church, in our neighborhood, and in our world. The more I see history repeat itself, the more I believe that nothing will be solved out there until it's first solved in here. When I allow myself myself, to imagine what could be possible for us as a church, when I take the risk and imagine for a moment what we could do if we combined our collective wisdom and talent and resources, when I allow myself to dream about us ending poverty in Cleveland Heights, or transforming the lives of the people of Batay 105, when I allow myself to see the difference I believe we can make, I'm overwhelmed. Not only with the possibilities, for they are many, but I'm also overwhelmed by what I know needs to happen for us to get there. I'm overwhelmed by what I know needs to happen for us to work together as one. To be the church that God wants us to be, the world needs us to be, we have to face our sin, our individual and our collective sin. We have to be honest with God, with ourselves and with one another, about how much we all need God's mercy and grace. I think that all too often, we don't get involved in the complex problems of our world, like racism and classism and injustice, because we haven't allowed ourselves to experience the full power of God's grace in our own life. We hold back the darker parts of ourselves, the complex parts of ourselves, the parts of ourselves we think are beyond redeeming. We hold that back from God. And in the process, we don't mean to do this, but we unintentionally limit God's redeeming love, the power of God's redeeming love in our own life. We don't believe God's love can do extraordinary things out there because we hesitate to let God's love do extraordinary things right in here. We much rather stay in the dark. When Father Boyle saw Pedro on the streets, whenever he saw Pedro on the streets, he would offer to take him to rehab. But every time, Pedro would gently decline, Thanks, G. I'm okay. One day, however, Pedro changed his answer. He changed his mind and got in the car 
with Father Boyle and began his long, hard journey of returning to himself. Thirty days into his rehab, his younger brother Johann did the unthinkable. He took his own life. The world around him was just too much to handle. His addiction had won. When Father Boyle called Pedro with the news, Pedro, of course, was devastated. But now that he was 30 days sober and thinking with a clear head and feeling with a clear heart, he, was allow- he allowed himself to have that pain settle in instead of putting it in some corner to fester. When Father Boyle arrived at the rehab center to take Pedro to the funeral, they didn't speak for a while. As Father Boyle worried about what to say to break the awkward silence, the silence got punctured by Pedro's insistence of telling Father Boyle about a dream he'd had the night before. In the dream, Pedro and Father Boyle are in a room, a large, empty room, alone. There are no lights, no illuminated exit signs, no light creeping in from under the door. It was complete and total darkness. Despite the darkness, though, Pedro knew that Father Boyle was with him in that room, even though no words were spoken between the two men. Suddenly, in the dark silence, you hear this rustling sound Pedro hears, and Father Boyle retrieves a flashlight from his pocket and turns it on, shining a thin light across the room. Slowly and deliberately, Father Boyle scans the room and finds it. He finds it on a light switch and shines the beam on it. No words are spoken, no explanation given, no promise of a better tomorrow. The light was shining. And for some reason, Pedro realized that it was he who had to get up and flip the switch. Slowly, with some trepidation, he made his way to the switch, took a deep breath, and flipped it on, and the room was vast in a bright, healing light. As Pedro finished his story, his eyes were full of tears, and with a voice of astonishing discovery, he said, And the light is better than the darkness. I guess my brother just never found the switch. The light is better than the darkness. Sin is not as powerful as we think it is. In our minds, we like to imagine the reality of sin, of systematic sin and injustice, as an impenetrable fortress that cannot be overcome. But that's a lie. It can be overcome. Sin is not a mighty fortress. It's a house of cards that comes tumbling to the ground when we let God into our hearts to transform us from the inside out. It falls to the ground when we begin the journey. We don't have to be defined by our sin, and the world doesn't have to be either. The problem is our sin, but our sin has been defeated. And all that's left for us is to begin the journey right where it begins. In fact, there may be no better time of the church year than to begin your journey than now, in the season of Advent, of preparation. For this is the time of year we wait for a light to come, and every single year it comes. Every single year, the light shines. Every single year together, we find the switch. The one who is the light of the world, the one who forgives all of our sin, has invited us on a journey from darkness to light where we face our sin and with God's help overcome it so we are no longer defined by it 
or held back because of it. It's amazing to consider when you think about it, but the same grace that can set you free from your darkest sin, from that shame that holds you back, that same grace can compel you, will compel you, to roll up your sleeves and get to work to make this world a brighter place. Because once we realize that behind all that sin lies the grace to overcome all its consequences, there's no person, no injustice, no struggle, no problem, that with God's help and the help of others cannot be overcome. Not a single one. Amen.